Hello everyone, Julian Charles here again of TheBinderNew.com and welcome to podcast number 41, which is an interview I had a few days ago with Dr. Stanley Monteith, actually his second interview here with us on the program. But before we get on to that, a few things to say. First, it's just good to be back again. As some of you will know, we had a short holiday at the end of the summer and it was a very pleasant and quiet place where we were staying. The only problem was that we were in a rather isolated place, so we had hardly any access to TV or internet. And that, of course, was very nice in its own way, but it did make it very difficult to follow the developments on Syria. Although we did actually get to enjoy that moment when Parliament here in the UK refused to give David Cameron what he wanted, or what he was told to want, the mandate for military action against Syria. And so it's just basically nice to have returned home and to find that our beloved leaders or so-called leaders have not yet triggered World War III. But uh, of course it remains to be seen what's actually going to happen in the future. And on that subject, let me just say thank you to all of you who've said that you really did enjoy very much that interview with Paul Craig Roberts. I enjoyed it too. It was great to speak with him, having listened to him for so many years, really. And I do hope we'll get the opportunity to speak to him again. And I still think that he's right in his assessment, even though, as we know, John Kerry has recently said that if we read the UN report on chemical weapons use in Syria, we only need to connect the dots. And it's absolutely obvious that President Assad ordered the use of those weapons, even though he had no reason to do so, and in fact had every reason not to do so. Well, I've looked at that report, as I'm sure many of you have too, and I've tried to connect the dots too, but I cannot seem to draw the same picture as John Kerry, or William Hague for that matter, over here. But maybe that's my problem. Perhaps I'm just mistaken and I'm not very good at joining dots. Anyway, just a few things about the website. If you haven't checked out the message page, don't forget it's there under the support tab, where I'm giving a heads up basically on things that are coming up on the show. And uh, there's also the resources tab, through which I'm continuing to add links to various items I think are important. And at the bottom of the homepage, I have a new section called In the Media, which is very simply a means of sharing just a few items of news, etc., that I think are of note in various ways. So I invite you to check that out. And indeed, if there's anything that you think should be included there, things that you think are important that I've clearly missed, then please do let me know and I'll check it out and perhaps add those too, because of course this is all about sharing information. So let's move now on to the interview with Dr. Stanley Monteith. This interview is on the subject of his paper called The Population Control Agenda. And let me say that although I don't agree with every statement that he makes in that paper or every interpretation that he gives, I do nevertheless think that it presents a hypothesis that is worthy of consideration and that it can usefully serve as a springboard or a stimulus for our own research on this subject, which is, of course, a subject of very, very great importance. And it's in that spirit that I offer this interview with Dr. Stanley Monteith. Hello, this is Julian Charles of TheMindRenewed.com, podcasting to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. Today is the 17th of September 2013, and I'm delighted to be speaking once again to Dr. Stanley Monteith, who joins us from his home in California, overlooking, as indeed he says in his own radio programme, overlooking beautiful and picturesque Monterey Bay. And for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Monteith, he is a retired orthopaedic surgeon who has spent many years investigating the causes of America's spiritual and moral decline, and who for about 20 years or so has been hosting 
an amazingly active talk radio show, Radio Liberty, which is broadcast right across the world. And as I said the very first time he came on the programme in January, I myself have been listening to Radio Liberty on and off since the early 1990s, so it's great to be able to welcome him yet again onto this show. Dr Stan, thank you ever so much for joining us again. It's my pleasure to be with you, Julian. Now, the last time we spoke, I was asking you about the role of secret societies in the push towards world government. And in fact, that interview was the first in a series of interviews, which is ongoing here at The Mind Renewed on the subject of the New World Order. So if people have not heard that series, I do suggest that people have a a listen to all of those interviews. But this time I would like to ask you about a different subject, which I think is not unrelated to that first conversation we had, and that is the subject of population control. Now, I want to ask you about this because over the last few months here on this program, in various interviews that we've had, this subject has popped up a number of times. And I know that this is a subject that you've been discussing for many, many years. And you have a paper that addresses this specifically on your website, which you call the Population Control Agenda. Now, what fascinates me about your work in this particular area is not just that you make the case that there are indeed influential people who believe it would be a good thing if a large proportion of the world's population were killed off, but that there actually does exist an agenda in various elitist circles to move in this kind of direction. So I'd like to ask you if you would introduce us to your thesis in the population control agenda. What is this agenda and where do you see it coming from? Well, basically, there is a belief that there are too many people in the world and that as the current rate of increase in population persists, why soon we'll have hundreds of billions of people, we'll be standing on one another's shoulders, or the world will simply crumble under the weight of population. And they point out the fact that the world population is growing, and that's true. And they point out the fact that we have over-congestion in many of our major cities, and that is absolutely true. But what they do not point out is the fact that there is a population control agenda. There is an active program today to kill people, that the population will continue increasing for the next probably 10 or 15 years. We'll reach about 9 to 9.5 billion people And then we'll start to contract and we'll continue to contract until almost the entire population of the world has been eliminated. And we're talking probably 50 to 100 years from now. And people hear that and they say, well, that's ridiculous, you know. But that is because they believe, as I once believed, that there could not be anything this evil. And there is an active population control agenda. It is being carried out. The ultimate goal is to reduce the world population to 500 million, and they are killing people every single day. We'll talk more about how they're doing that, but we're dealing with organized evil. And once you've read my population control thesis, you can go up on the Internet and simply type in population control agenda, Stan Monteith, pull it down and read it. It's Sydney is well over 10 years old. It needs to be updated. I don't have the time to do it. But the facts are there. They are killing people today. This certainly is criminal activity. These people should be imprisoned. But because most people have no idea what's going and because these people hold the reins of power, 
not only in my country, United States, and in your country, Great Britain, but throughout the world, I fear that they will never be held responsible, at least in this world, for their crimes against humanity. And as you say, uh, we shall get into more detail about this as we go along. And you also say that it's something that's very difficult for people to get their heads around, really. And you didn't come to this belief very easily, did you? I understand that uh, it was because of your experience during your medical career of the way in which the AIDS issue was handled by health authorities. And that led you to suspect that there was something... Well, it wasn't just about healthcare. There was something sinister going on here. Well, I got involved with the AIDS issue back in 86, and at that time I was a member of the House of Delegates of the California Medical Association. That's sort of like a congress of doctors, and there were about 450 doctors that represented all the doctors in the state of California. We probably have, oh, probably 40 or 50, 30 or 40,000 doctors, and but here is the 450 doctors elected by other doctors to represent them as they meet on a yearly basis to discuss problems in medicine and what can be done. Well, basically, of course, when the AIDS epidemic came along, why, of course, it should have been handled using standard public health techniques, simply trying to identify who had the disease and stop them from spreading it to others. Simple, straightforward, uh, certainly this would involve a routine testing of everybody, when they went to the doctor's office, when they went to the dentist's office, when they were going to get married, when they had children. Oh, a pregnant woman, shouldn't you? you should find out whether or not she has a disease so you can protect her unborn child. Standard techniques, techniques that have been used with syphilis, brought syphilis under control before we had penicillin, largely should have been used with the AIDS epidemic, and it wasn't used. And basically, uh, representing the doctors in my community, the doctors in my community who were public health-oriented and much smarter in this than I was. I, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I didn't know anything about public health, but they put together a logical program involving standard public health measures which should have been introduced uh, to stop the spread of AIDS in America, throughout the world. And uh, so they, I presented this to the doctors in the state of California, the California Medical Association, and every effort was made to block the implementation of standard and effective public health techniques that could have saved the lives of hundreds of thousands of people here in America and millions of people throughout the world, and it didn't make sense. You know, I was involved in this battle for about nine years. And only during the latter part of this time, Dr. Lorraine Day, who was working with me on this, and we were the two, probably two of the leading physicians in America on the front lines of the battle. Lorraine Day kept telling me, Stan, you didn't understand. The reason that we're not doing what's logical is because there's a population control agenda. And, you know, I, I really didn't want to believe that. I did not want to believe there was a, some sort of a conspiracy behind what was going on, and that there was a specific agenda that prevented the implementation of the public health measures that could actually save human lives. And it took a long time. I'll have to admit I'm a slow learner. It took me a long time before I finally came to the realization that there really is an agenda there really are people who want to kill off the vast majority of people in the world. And so if you read my population control agenda, you will see it. Or what really convinced me was when I went to Elberton, Georgia, 
I'd heard that there was a monument there. You could see it, but nobody ever talked about it. It was a Druid-type monument fashioned somewhat after the Stonehenge in, in England. In fact, it's called the American Stonehenge. And there, in eight different languages, is a message to humanity. And point one was maintain the population, the human population, at less than 500 million in constant balance with nature. Well, a lot of people. But when you realize we have 7 billion people in the world, we're talking of them killing off well over 6 billion people. And basically, there's no way to get the population down to 500 million without killing off the vast majority of the people in the world. They know exactly what they're doing. They just don't want people to know. And you say that finding out about the Georgia Guidestones was something that really did cement this idea in your mind. And I do want to come back to that in a little bit, because it also connects with the comments that you make in your article about connections with the occult and Luciferianism. So I'll come back to that in a little while. I'd like first to turn to the substance of your article. And uh, one of the first people you mention is Margaret Sanger, who was uh, the most famous American birth control activist. She founded organizations that became Planned Parenthood. And you point to the fact that she was, she wasn't just advocating various forms of contraception, but she was also a proponent of eugenics, and that she was overtly racist in her outlook as well. So could I ask you why she was one of the first people that you mentioned in the article? And what was the role of social Darwinist ideas? Well, of course, Margaret Sanger came along the early part of the last century, and there were very powerful forces at that time that were going along with this whole agenda of suddenly population control. And Margaret Sanger uh, then, of course, was pushed into a forefront of this. And the whole idea was that there were certain races that were certainly inferior to others, including the gypsies and the Jews. She wanted to target racial groups. And she said, yes, there are too many people in the world. There are certain people who shouldn't be having children. We want to have a, certainly a, a better class of children. And she was well-financed by the great tax-exempt foundations and by the people who were part of this population control agenda. Why, of course, she then was very, very accepted. And, of course, she had a good press. Because, but people don't understand is that the media in your country and my country is largely controlled. And the average individual has very little grasp of what's going on today. They do not understand there's a coordinated effort to push abortion as a means of birth control that has already killed off several billion unborn children. Why should they we would have three or four billion more people in the world had it not been for these programs. And people say it would be awfully crowded. Ladies and gentlemen, the vast areas of this world that are totally unpopulated. As I fly across America and look at the vast expanses of land that's there, population is not the problem. It's one of these days, it's going to be a population shortage that's a problem. And what most people do not understand is that in your country and in mine, we are not reproducing. Here in America, certainly, reproduction is 1.67 children per family. It takes 2.1 children per family. They're dying off in America, but they're dying off, certainly, in Germany, 1.4 children per family. You need 2.1 children to reproduce it. 
in both France and Italy, 1.2 children per family. The same is true in Russia. The same is true in Japan. At least in Russia, they're doing what's logical. They're paying people to have children desperate to uh, try to maintain their population because in all of these countries, over the next 50 to 75 years, the population is going to be radically reduced. It's already falling Certainly in Japan, it's falling in Russia, it's falling in Germany, it's falling in France. And if it weren't for immigration, the population would be bottoming out, and the average individual doesn't know because the media is controlled. And central, historically central to this population reduction agenda is, of course, Thomas Malthus. This is going back before Darwin, of course, and uh, people frequently point to Malthus as the one who popularized the notion that human population growth would outstrip the capacity of the earth to provide sustenance for us human beings, which has turned out to be completely false thanks to uh, human beings' ingenuity. Could you give us an idea in your mind of the importance of Malthus in this? Well, he is certainly the person who talks about this. He was uh, certainly living in the uh, late 1700s and early 1800s, and he wrote extensively about the fact that we were overpopulating. And basically, he was saying at that time, which was certainly within, within 50 years, the world would be overpopulated. And certainly then building upon Malthus's ideas came other uh, people who followed him. And then, of course, 100 years later, why we find Margaret Sanger picking up this same idea, but Malthus was the first person to popularize this. He was actually a minister, I think, but how a minister could take these ideas, and yet there's these, these dark ideas have infiltrated our churches, unfortunately, uh, and very little as it appears to be. It's astonishing that he was, in fact, a clergyman. I'm very glad that I wasn't part of his flock. Right. Now, uh, in the 1960s, there was a, a neo-Malthusian movement, wasn't there? And there was a, a chap who's still a, uh, well, highly respected, still with us, Paul Ehrlich, who published his famous book, The Population Bomb, which made all kinds of doom and gloom predictions about overpopulation and how the world wouldn't be able to feed itself. And yet again, this is all proven to be false, thanks to many technologies. But he continues to be regarded as a significant voice. Uh, why do you think that he isn't just discredited? Because the people who control the mass media have an agenda. People do not understand the media is controlled. Here in the United States at the present time by six major corporations, AOL, Time Warner, Bertelsmann, Sydney, Viacom, Disney, GE, and Comcast, and then, of course, by Rupert Murdoch and Fox News. And basically, they have an agenda. They pretend to be conservative and liberal, but they are all part of this effort to limit the population of the world, to limit the God's highest creation, which is humanity. There is an organized program to markedly limit the population of the world. The fact that it is never discussed publicly or seldom discussed publicly is simply a reflection of the degree of control that exists today over what the American and English people think and believe. And one of the main contentions of your article is that this agenda is a very radical one. This isn't, we're not talking here just at the level of birth control. Your contention is that there are people, there are organizations that would really like to see human population precipitously reduced. And you 
point in the direction of this kind of attitude through some quotations to back up what you say here. Can I just mention a couple of the quotations you bring up? You mentioned David Graeber, ecologist of the National Park Service, and in 1989 he was... Uh, in the Los Angeles Times book review, he was writing, we have become a plague upon ourselves and upon the earth. Until such time as Homo sapiens should decide to rejoin nature, some of us can only hope for the right virus to come along. And you also quote Jacques Cousteau, the oceanographer, the French oceanographer, whose TV programs I used to enjoy when I was a child. And uh, in the UNESCO Courier in 1991, I'm quoting from him here, it's terrible to have to say this, World population must be stabilised, and to do that we must eliminate 350,000 people per day. This is so horrible to contemplate that we shouldn't even say it. But there he said it. So my question is, uh, what do you think quotations like this reveal to us about what's going on? Well, they should reveal that there is an organised effort to limit the world population. But since most people have never heard these quotations, I actually have a copy of the UNESCO Courier where Jacques Cousteau actually does make this statement that we need to eliminate 350,000 people a day. But you see, Julian, the, the story is just so incredible. People can't believe it. They can't believe that they are creating new diseases. They can't believe that there are active treatments for cancer that are being actively suppressed I mean, certainly a hundred years ago, I think there were three people, two or three people per hundred who had cancer. Today, why one in three women, one in two men have cancer? Cancer is the second largest source of death in the world we live in today. They cannot believe that they actually create wars because they want to kill off large numbers of people, and people are dying in wars and in revolutions and of starvation in Africa today. And, you know, a quarter of a million people can die in Somalia. We doesn't even get a byline at the bottom of the newspaper. So nothing is it appears to be. Unfortunately, we are victims of the people who control the media and shape our reality. Yes. Could I ask you to comment upon the speech that Eric Pianka, this is an evolutionary ecologist at the University of Texas, he gave a speech in 2006, and this was reported by the chairman of the environmental science section of the Texas Academy of Science, a man called Forrest Mims. Can I just um, say some of the words that Forrest Mims here comments? You go right ahead and quote it. So these are the words here uh, of Forrest Mims reporting on what Eric Pianka said. Professor Pianka said that the Earth as we know it will not survive without drastic measures. Then, and without presenting any data to justify this number, he asserted that the only feasible solution to saving the Earth is to reduce the population to 10% of the present number. War and famine would not do, he explained. Instead, disease offered the most efficient and fastest way to kill the billions that must soon die if the population crisis is to be solved. His favourite candidate for eliminating 90% of the world's population is airborne Ebola, Ebola Reston, because it is both highly lethal and it kills in days instead of years. After praising the Ebola virus for its efficiency at killing, Bianca paused, leaned over the lectern, looked at us and carefully said, We've got airborne 90% mortality in humans, killing humans. Think about that. Now, when I read that, the overall impression I get is that the way this was delivered was with a, a certain sense of praising the qualities of this virus for what it can do. And that really, I find very chilling. 
Well, it's not only frightening, but where did this virus come from? Well, we do know that they had laboratories where they are creating new diseases. There have been several outbreaks of this in Africa. Fortunately, they were limited, but of course, if this was actually weaponized, it could be released at any time with devastating effects because it's readily transmitted from person to person. And fortunately, the spread of the disease has been limited very effectively with the outbreaks we've had simply by isolation. Uh, but of course, when we are dealing with organized evil, we never know when this may strike. So I, I share your concern about that and the fact that anybody would express this kind of concept. And not only that, the fact that somebody would express it and then would be largely blocked out. And of course, it's available to people who want to look this up on the internet. Fortunately, we do have the internet where you can check things out. But the average person never heard of it because the media is controlled. And the last thing they would want the people in your country and mine to know is that they're creating new diseases, that there are treatments for cancer that are being actively suppressed, and that they are actively, I believe, planning on another major war that will kill hundreds of millions of people before it's over. Yes, I mean, I was very worried, actually, by what happened in 2009 when there was that contamination of experimental seasonal flu virus material with live H5N1 avian flu viruses at Baxter's International Research Facility in Austria. And uh, I don't remember this being reported in the UK media at all. I mean, I may be wrong, but I was aware of it at the time and I couldn't see any reporting. It was on the Internet. There was a YouTube video of a news item from Polish TV, but that was it. And what worries me about this is the fact that the fact that it's not reported, presumably because people in such industries don't want it reported. I can't think of any other reason. But this then creates a condition in which something really appalling could take place because there isn't this public scrutiny of such events. Do you share my concerns about this? I do. In fact, Chris, I'm always concerned about the vaccines because we don't know what is in those vaccines. And basically, of course, they can put anything in the vaccines and they can actually start an epidemic and then say everybody's got to be vaccinated. And basically, yeah, of course, there was this instance you're describing where it was far more lethal than the disease for which it was being uh, implemented. And they tried to put a vaccine out for SARS, which was not a major problem. And several of the other epidemics that have had tremendous hype, they've tried to vaccinate millions of people so far. So they, they, we do not know um, how many people may have died from the vaccines. But we do know that they do have an agenda. There is an organized effort to eliminate large parts of the population. And all we can do is that they warn people to be very, very wary. So when they come up with these stories about this terrible disease, and then, of course, but don't worry, we have a vaccine for you. It is so foreign to what, what we believe. We are what we believe. And what we believe is what we are. And, and suddenly to suddenly find that everything you believe is wrong, that the beliefs you've held just are untenable in view of the facts, that comes as a terrible shock to people. But they must understand there is this genocidal agenda and our lives and the lives of our family and hundreds of millions or billions of people are hanging in the balance. Mm-hmm. Um. 
Could I ask you to explain to us the other main contention of your article, which is that, in your view, we should also consider the possibility that there are occult organisations involved in this agenda. And you point, as you've already said earlier in the interview, you point to the Georgia Guidestones as an indication of this. Now, we don't know a great deal about these stones. They were put there, um, it is reported, by... A pseudonymous R.C. Christian, this is in 1979, but in your opinion, this is the work of some Luciferian organization? I think it's a Luciferian organization. I think the message is Luciferian because it calls for world government, and that has always been the plan of those people who worship Lucifer, is to create a one-world government under his control. And basically, of course, the story of the Georgia Guidestones, a gentleman uh, comes to Alberton, Georgia, and uh, wants to put up this monument and uh, puts up the money. He says he's part of a secret society. He will not identify the secret society. He uses a pseudonym. There's only two people in town who know who he really is. Everybody else, he's known as R.C. Christian. The monument is built, and I think it's finished in 1981, And it's been sitting there ever since then. People must understand it's not imaginary, it's real. And until you go there and you see it, but you go onto the internet, my website, radioliberty.com, has pictures of the Georgia Guidestones, has a section that tells you what the instructions are. And basically maintain humanity at less than 500 million in constant balance with nature. And in fact, people can simply go to Wikipedia. There is a Wikipedia article about it with the 10 points that are placed there for everybody to see. But when you read that article, it's very interesting that it's suggested that the idea that this is indicative of a conspiracy is perhaps not reasonable because all these statements could just be seen as general recommendations for starting civilization all over again, you know, after some sort of nuclear war or something like that. But when you actually read those 10 points, I really don't find that convincing. I mean, uh, you said maintain humanity under 500 million. Well, to my mind, if you're going to maintain a certain number of people, then there's some coercion involved there. Uh, This isn't just a normal civilization. The second point is to guide reproduction wisely which suggests some sort of technocratic elite dictating what's going on. And it says that there should be an improvement of fitness, which again is reminiscent of eugenics. And then they have in the 10th point, be not a cancer on the earth, which reminds me of the language used, of course, by the elitist Club of Rome in their Mankind at the Turning Point, where they have a quote likening humanity to a cancer. So all those indications, to my mind anyway, point in the direction of something more than just a general recommendations. Do you agree with that? I agree with you totally. And I think that people must understand there really are secret societies. There's no question at all that R.C. Christian said he was a member of a secret society and his own name was a pseudonym. In other words, he was keeping his identity secret. Why? And of course, basically, I think many people there in, uh, in Alberton, Georgia, realize this was a, a an occult monument. Many of them were very, very concerned about this and certainly about the influence on that little community. And you have, I think in the last 
the time I spoke to you last, you did actually point to a certain Barbara Marks Hubbard who made some rather disturbing comments uh, along these lines. Can you remember what that quotation was? Oh, well, it's been some time since I went through this, but basically she had written a book and basically she brought it out the uh, a, a revised copy, but the original text of Barbara Marx Hubbard's work, why she basically called for the fact that there were a third of humanity who wanted to rise to a higher level, uh, there was a third of humanity that certainly would go along with the situation, but there was a third of humanity that did not want to advance to this higher level, and they were going to have to be eliminated. And then she went on to say, that is not your job, my dear, that is ours, for we are the riders of the pale horse death. And she was simply talking about eliminating people who did not want to go along with this new world occult movement. Very worrying. Did you say that that was in the original version? That was in the original version of the book, which I actually have. Uh Um, I'd like, lastly, to ask you, to what extent you think U.S. foreign policy has been influenced by these ideas, however that influence has taken place. Many people point to the so-called Kissinger Report of 1974, which the official title, of course, is the National Security Study Memorandum 200, NSSM 200, which promoted population control measures in developing countries. Now, from a U.S. national security perspective, this was seen as desirable to ensure that U.S. business could continue to have access to natural resources in developing countries, of course. But um, what impact do you think that policy in 1974 has had across the globe in the years since then? Well, basically, of course, what the United States has done is introduced programs throughout the world which are certainly preventing reproduction and certainly to our programs of vaccines to the introduction of, of various products in food, for instance, aspartame, which is in food that we're shipping to these countries. Why? Because the, the, all of these things limit the reproduction and basically so many of the foods that we have, whether it be the water fluoridation that we're producing, actually most countries re- repudiate uh, water fluoridation we have it here in the United States, but one of the major purposes of water fluoridation has nothing to do with teeth. It has to do with it limits the population. Incidentally, within this last couple of weeks, Israel has voted to stop fluoridating their water. Israel has been fluoridating their water. They're going to stop it because they understand basically water fluoridation promotes cancer. It limits reproduction, and it has the impact on the mind. It lowers the IQ. Basically, there's so many of the programs that we are certainly introducing throughout the world. Using certainly foods, aspartame, MSG, certainly canned goods. Every can, tin can, is lined with something called bisphenol. What does bisphenol do? It limits population. It leads to cancer. And basically, it's in all plastics, and it does exactly the same thing. Certainly, so many of the things that we are utilizing today, genetically modified foods, and they're being introduced all throughout the world. What do they do? Why? Because they limit population, they limit fertility, and they promote cancer. We are actively engaged in a program and through our vaccination programs 
One of the main reasons in vaccination is not to preserve life, it's to prevent reproduction and the things that we put in the vaccines actively, and we're talking about the mercury, the aluminum, uh, and the other products in the vaccines that are there specifically to limit reproduction. And as a result, the reproduction rate in third world countries has gone from about six or seven children per family down to about 2.5, 2.8 children per family, somewhere in that range, and is progressively falling, which is why 20 years from now, the world population will peak out about 9.5 and then proceed to fall until one time, of course, there will be a shortage of people in the world rather than the excesses they talk about. They know exactly what they're doing, and the fact that most of the people listening to this program have never heard these things is simply a reflection of the degree of control that exists over what the people of the world are allowed to think and hear and believe. And uh, many people say that this whole idea that the world is overpopulated is in fact a myth. You have many times interviewed Stephen Mosher of the Population Research Institute, and that is his contention that essentially this is a non-problem really, that in fact there are many first world countries where there are not enough people, and that really the best way to deal with overpopulation in the third world is really to promote a higher standard of living but organizations like the optimum population trust here in the uk which has renamed itself to the population matters it has many well-known patrons like david attenborough and paul ehrlich again of course and uh, james lovelock jonathan porritt their attitude is that well no there are really too many people on the planet and our emphasis does have to be on reducing population growth but as i say people like stephen mosher say well no that really is a myth our emphasis should be on increasing the health and wealth of people and population will stabilize as a consequence of that do you think that the population research institute is right in that assessment I think that what we need to do is raise living standards. I believe because we certainly should have a couple of children for every family, and basically it would be a far better world if certainly we could limit uh, the power of these people. And of course, these people have fabulous wealth. And until we understand that there really are powerful spiritual forces behind this entire movement, nothing makes sense. And as you say, that people can get more of this information from your website, from the Radio Liberty website, and a copy of the monograph that we've been talking about. You also have a presentation of a video presentation of a lecture, None Dare Call It Genocide. Can people get hold of it at your website? Yes, we certainly recommend that. None Dare Call It Genocide. We have a four tape set on population control. We have the talk, None Dare Call It Genocide. And Basically, this was something I spent a lot of time on some years ago. We've gone on to other subjects because the information is there, and we hope that people want to get it. And really, what bothers me is that other people are not writing on this and sounding the alarm. But we're talking about the destruction of humanity. We're talking about limiting the world population to 500 million in constant balance with nature. We're talking about the fact that if you read the uh, quotations, and we have a number of quotations by prominent people, including Prince Philip of Great Britain, the, the consort of the Queen, who said that 
And if he dies, it's like to come back as a virus, infect humanity, and help with population control. And we have many key people, and certainly people like Ted Turner and others. And the fact that you'd never hear about it is simply a reflection of the degree of control that exists today over what the people in your country and my country believe in. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Stan, it's been fantastic yet again to have you on, and I think it really is extremely important that this message is heard by people because it's so easy, is it not, just to look upon this sort of thing as conspiracy theorizing. But I think if we do look upon it in that way, we miss the warning that's here that uh, there are these indications that people, many people in high places, do in fact have this kind of attitude. And I think it really does behoove us to take this seriously as a warning and to use your treaties as the beginning of our own research into this. We have the internet, we can, if we're careful in the way that we do our research, I'm quite sure that we can find out many of the truths to do with this particular subject, which I think, as you say, is so important. And I'm sure you would agree that people shouldn't just believe what you say or just believe what I say, uh, but do the research themselves. And I thank you very much for coming on and for all the time and the effort that you've put in over the years to asking these questions yourself. So thank you ever so much, Dr. Stan, for coming on. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again. God bless. I'm so glad you're out there getting the information out. Bye-bye. Thanks so much.